Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of The ancient Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations, come. We will be singing that along with the rest of the church as we embark on a new season of the church year. In fact, on a new church year. In the season of Advent, what are we celebrating and how do we begin another church year? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, November the 27th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, with Pastor Will Whedon, the first Sunday in Advent. Then we'll conclude our four-part series on Christian sanctification in the three estates today. Citizens and authorities, Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, author of the book, Faith That Shines Through the Culture, will be our guest. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. What is different about the Advent season? What stays the same in the Advent season? Well, with the setting of the sun on this coming Saturday, the church does move into this brand new season of the church here, Holy Advent. Advent is one of two penitential seasons in the church here, which means technically it's a fasting season. How countercultural can you get, I ask you. In the mind of the church, Advent is to Christmas just as Lent is to Easter. And already in the 16th century, Lucius in his Cantional already remarked that Advent actually celebrates a threefold coming. The coming of Christ in glory on the last day to be judge of the living and the dead the daily coming of Christ in grace through his word and sacrament, through humble means. And finally, yes, the coming of Christ historically as the babe of Bethlehem. So as a season of penitence, Advent historically shares the same color as Lent, violet. A modern option allows the use of blue, but and that's sort of based on a weird serum English practice. But I think there's no question that the preferred color really is the violet. And like Lent, the Gloria Nechelsis drops out in Advent, or more correctly, it was never added in in Advent. But if you have a festival occur like St. Andrew's Day or St. Thomas Day, fall in Lent, in um, Advent rather, then the Gloria comes back. Now, unlike Lent, the Glorias continue in use throughout the whole season. A whole bunch of parishes observe Advent by throwing in extra services, especially in the midweek, most often a Wednesday Vespers or evening prayer service. From the practice of Christian homes, 
this Advent wreath thing developed where it started just at the dinner table, but it's moved from the home into the church. Most churches these days have Advent wreaths set up. We light more and more candles against the growing darkness. At least it's growing in the Northern Hemisphere. This is a feature of the season that has its roots in like a natural circadian rhythm. And even folks who have no idea why they're doing this seem to be driven to put lights on the outside of their house as the darkness gets more and more intense. There is a special rite in the Lutheran service book agenda for actually blessing the Advent wreath on the first Sunday of Advent. Another feature of this season then is that it has one preface that's used throughout. The preface runs like this. It's truly me writing salutary that we should at all times and in all places. Give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose way John the Baptist prepared, proclaiming him the promised Messiah, the very Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory. A couple features there to note. Number one, the introduction of St. John the Baptist. He lurks in the preface for the first two Sundays in Advent before stepping out into the gospel readings for the final two. Also, that John proclaims Jesus as the promised Messiah, the one Israel has been waiting for. And that would be the Lamb of God who carries away the sins of the world. But John was not only a preacher of the gospel, he was a stern preacher of repentance. So he calls sinners to repentance to escape the wrath about to bust over their heads, as we hear in the small cut articles. But here, the fiery angel of St. John appears, the true preacher of repentance with one bolt of lightning. He hurls together both those selling and those buying works. He says, repent. Now, one group imagines why we have repented. The other says, we need no repentance. John says, repent, both of you, you false penitents and you false saints. Both of you need the forgiveness of sins. Neither of you know what sin really is, much less your duty to repent of it and shun it. For no one of you is good. You are full of unbelief, stupidity, and ignorance of God's will. But he is present here, of whose fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Without him, no one can be righteous before God. So John's ministry did not at all come to an end when Herod chopped his head off. His voice has gone on calling sinners to repentance in all the years ever since. And he continues to be a major feature of the church's annual observance of Advent, summoning us to shelter beneath the righteousness of Christ as the only righteousness that will avail on the day of God's great wrath. And one more thing on the season of Advent, we should just note that from December 17th to 23rd, when you're praying evening prayer or Vespers, the great O Antiphons frame the Magnificat. And we'll actually treat of those when we get to the fourth Sunday in Advent, because the hymn of the day for that day, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is actually just a paraphrase of those particular antiphons. So that's sort of the contours of the Advent season as a whole. This first Sunday in Advent has a name. It is Ad Te Lavavi. It's taken the Latin from the first words of the introit, also found in the introit, Psalm 25. Right. And always the Latin... I shouldn't say always. I think almost always. No, 
When we get to pre-Lent, we have names that are not related to the intro. But most of the names of the Sundays, if they have specific names, are named from those opening words of the intro that sort of trumpet out the theme of the day. So, a te lavave, to you, O Lord, I lift up. Lift up what? My soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me never be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. And then here are the key words. Indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. So the theme of Ate Levave is let us wait in confident hope for the Lord who will indeed never put us to shame. We wait for his coming, not as something that's going to be disgraceful to us, but we wait for his coming and long for it as his people When he draws near to us, it will be the advent of unending joy. Additional verses from Psalm 25 make up the rest of today's intro, but the repeating of the antiphon after the Gloria, that always stresses those opening words. We lift up our souls to God. We trust in him. We wait for him. We are not going to be put to shame. Waiting in trust. That's sort of the theme heralded on this day. How does the collect for the first Sunday in Advent read? Beautiful prayer. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Uh, important to notice that is unusual and that it's addressed to the Son. Most of the colleagues, the overwhelming majority of them, address the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. This one is actually a prayer to the Son himself, and it prays that we would be rescued, that he would stir up his power and come so that by his protection we would be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins. And this, Todd, is why we need Advent so badly. We constantly forget that our sins are perilous. We constantly forget that they damage and wound and hurt, not just the people around us, but they do damage to us ourselves. They're always trying to extinguish the light of faith in us. And so we pray, dear Lord Jesus, let our faith not fail. Extinguish the threatening perils of all of these sins in our lives. Give us the gift of true repentance. Is this feature the kind of, there's no preface in these collects to the request, and their quest is not a request, but almost a command that seems to kind of run through Advent too. Yeah, the stir up thing, exita um, in the Latin. It's a beautiful prayer um, that, that, yeah, it just sort of plunges right in. It gets, a, 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 how do we describe that? There, there is an urgency to the prayer that the penitent feels, Lord, help. It's like, help now kind of a prayer. It just runs right with the very word Hosanna itself, which we're going to hear in the gospel in a little bit. Um, this, we need you to come and save us. This is something we are, we don't need a little bit of help. We need salvation. We need it to come from you. He's the only one who can give it. And so we turn to him with this strong plea to be saved by his mighty deliverance. The psalm appointed for the first Sunday in Advent is Psalm 24. Why is it there? Well, in Psalm 24, and in Psalm 85 and Psalm 25, you have sort of like the three psalms that 
the church's liturgy just returns to again and again throughout the seasons of Advent. The use of 24 is specifically chosen to match the gospel reading. Lift up your heads, you know, you ancient gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory is going to come in. Well, we're going to hear about how that is fulfilled in Jesus' arrival into his holy city. So already in these propers, we have uh, a sense of hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said urgency. Uh, there really is no fear here. The confidence in the fact that that God is going to send help and that help will come in the form of himself. Yeah, I mean, but there's there's a little bit of a tension, which I just love, between the intro, like, you know, the intro is like, wait, wait, wait confidently, wait patently for him. And the the uh, the colic is like, yeah, but do it already, Lord. Come now, come now and rescue us. So I think that experience, that uh, uh, tension between the two shows the exact way that Christians experience um, our wait for the Lord. Uh, we know he's coming. We know he's coming in glory. We're waiting for that day. We know we can be confident of that day. But when we look at what's threatening us, the peril of our sins, we definitely feel an urgency to cry out and beg him to do it quickly. So, you know, in the church's prayer, it's most often, quick, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, quickly come. Let's get into the appointed readings for the first Sunday in Advent, beginning with the Old Testament reading. It's Jeremiah 23. That's a good place to go to look forward, um, and it begins at verse 5. Yeah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, Yahweh Tzedekinu, the Lord is our righteousness. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they will dwell in their own land. So what's the context there? To, to what is Jeremiah speaking and writing? Well, when he calls, he's, he's, first of all, he promises that, that God is promising through Jeremiah, I'm going to raise up for David a righteous branch. You've got to remember, Jeremiah has been prophesying that Judah is going to be history now. This is the last king of Judah. Zedekiah is going to have his eyes put out. He's going to be taken a captive to Babylon. There's not going to be, it looks like the, the, the tree of David is being chopped down by God in judgment. That's what it looks like. But as that tree is being chopped down, the prophet sees and foretells that a branch is going to grow up out of it. Have you ever had that happen, Todd? I remember the parsonage we had in North Carolina had a bunch of crab apple trees there on the side. And I remember we, we cut them down and I thought, well, that's the end of that, right? We don't have to worry about those crab apple trees anymore. Ah, little did I know. Up from the, 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 the roots all over the place, the little trab, crab apple trees started to sprout and grow all over the yard. I was like, well, what is happening here? And then I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is what happened in Israel. This is what God promised his people. Even though he chopped down the, you know, the external glory of the house of David, there came a time when God would raise up from the roots of David, hidden long in the ground, beneath the earth, if you will, he will raise up a king who will deal wisely 
and who will bring righteousness to bear on the land. This is, strictly speaking, uh, to talk about those multiple comings that you mentioned earlier, this is, strictly speaking, the first coming of Christ. Yes. when When Christ comes in person as our righteousness. Right, and this actual reading is chosen, I think, to match the gospel reading that we're going to hear, because he's called a king. He's this king who's going to be a king of righteousness. He's going to establish or execute justice and righteousness in the land. You only have to think about how big that is, Todd. That's not just that he's going to be acting fairly. It's much more. Here's going to be a human life that will establish God's righteousness fully upon earth for all people, a justice that will last for all. He is bringing it in by what he will do and what he's getting ready to do in Jerusalem is how it's all going to be fulfilled. So we hear that there is a result of this, the people of God, Judah, the South Kingdom, and even Israel, the North Kingdom, they're going to be saved and dwell securely. And the name of this king, his name gives it all away. His name is Yahweh Tzedekinu. The Lord is our righteousness. What is Jesus? He is our righteousness. He has perfectly lived the human life for all people. He has established a perfect human righteousness upon the earth. And this it is that allows the people of God to come home. Not just home to the land of promise like Jeremiah was hinting at here, but home to Eden itself, back to where God planned for humanity to be able to be and live and thrive. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Advent. I want to deal a little bit with those words, the days are coming when we return. Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. When Christ came to earth, he did not come as a fully formed man. Rather, he took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He became a lowly embryo and thereby, in this act, made every child a gracious gift of God. No asterisks, no footnotes. To learn more about the blessing of children, pick up the December issue of The Lutheran Witness cph.org slash witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, basically everyone of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmons, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewellery, springly cookie moulds, gifts, and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. I'm Pastor Todd Rappi. 
I serve a congregation here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, our Redeemer Lutheran Church, a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All of the saints here gather around blood, water, and spirit as theologians of the cross every Sunday morning at 1030. We only welcome sinners. We certainly would welcome you. If you'd like to contact us through our website, you may do so at faylcms.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest, host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study. Produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the very first Sunday of the church year, the first Sunday in Advent. Just if you would, before we move on to the epistle reading in Romans 13, he starts off by saying the days are coming. It seems like God, especially in the Old Testament, well, I guess in the New Testament, spends a lot of time making people wait for things that he's promised to do. Yes, he does. It starts already with the story of Abraham, right? Hey, you're going to have a kid. You know, it's going to be a kid through Sarah. And wait, and wait, and wait, and wait. And then when Ishmael comes along and Isaiah's like, maybe he could do. And the Lord's like, no, no, no. It's going to be from you and from Sarah. Just wait. This time next year, you're you're actually going to have have a baby. You're going to hold him yourself. And, and so, I mean, he waited and waited and waited all those long years. And finally, the promise came. That's how God likes to work it over and over again. We'll see in the scripture, or the story of Joseph. Remember, he gives him those visions of all his brothers and his mother and father bowing down before him. And, you know, nothing comes to pass until he's gone through all that suffering in Egypt and finally been made the prime minister of Egypt. And his brothers come and bow down before him, not even realizing who he is. And, and then in that moment, Joseph's like, oh, now I see. Now I get it. So with God, this uh, waiting is a very important part of faith. It's how we trust his promises, how he teaches us to trust his promise across the years. But now the special formula, behold, the days are coming, is just like prophetic slang for saying that I'm talking about the time of Messiah. So whenever you hear this, behold, the days are coming, this has to do with the Messianic age. So that's what he's promising here. When the Messianic age arrives, there's going to be a real king coming from, you know, the buried roots of David, a righteous branch growing out out of him. And he is going to establish on the earth a righteousness and justice that will open the way for the people of God to be able to come home, above all, home to God. I mean, that's why he would say in John 14, you know, my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That is, I'm opening the way through my suffering, death, and resurrection for you to come home. The epistle reading is Romans 13. Oh, we don't oh, want to skip the gradual. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, the gradual in yeah. the verse. Yes, go yeah. ahead. Okay, the gradual is uh, Psalm 25, verses 3 and 4. None of you who wait for me will be put to shame. They will be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Well, this is the prayer that God would teach us his way, which is the way of waiting for the fulfillment of his promises in Christ. We are waiting. And so in Advent time, we pray, Lord, give me this gift of patient waiting for you, but come quickly. So that's sort of the theme of that that, uh, gradual verse in Psalm 25. Then on to the epistle, if we could, Romans 13. You can either start at verse 8 or verse 11. Yeah, and I'm going to suggest that you really start at verse 11, because this gets to the heart of why it's chosen for this day. Verse 11, besides this, 
you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. You remember that the reading we heard last week was about the virgins sleeping, right? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What do we uh, need to say about why that is there on the first Sunday of Advent? Well, stop and think about how Christmas usually gets celebrated in our culture, right? People tend to do what? They overeat, they overindulge in alcohol or other substances, and the result is that uh, it becomes, uh, do I dare say it like this? It becomes an orgy of eating and drinking between Thanksgiving all the way up till what? New Year's or something like that. It's a time of great casting off restraint. And that's the exact thing that the epistle says, hey, that's for the people who live in darkness, not for you. You, Christian, you are people of the light. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. We tend to hear salvation and think about what happened in the past, Jesus on his cross and his resurrection from the dead. But Paul means salvation here as the return of Christ when he's finally going to deliver us from our struggles with the old Adam. All of a sudden, we are going to be a brand new people. You're going to be really you, but you're going to have all the sin totally gone from your life forever. So he's like, hey, If that's what we're waiting for, why don't we practice it? Let's start practicing toward where we're headed. So that's what he means when he says, walk properly as in the daytime, not in all this overindulgence in um, orgies and, you know, or drinking parties and drunkenness or in sexual immorality and sensuality or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, Paul says, what we need to do, preparing ourselves for that day, that joyous day of Jesus appearing is that we should put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Luther, by the way, translated that a little differently. He rendered that as, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make provision for the flesh, yet not so as to gratify the desires thereof. So Luther was saying, you can make provision for your flesh, but you shouldn't just indulge every itch that your flesh has, its desires need to actually be put to death because its desires are to to be plastered, to be stuffed, to be sexually irresponsible, and to engage in quarreling and fighting and, and trying to prove that you're the best. And jealousy and anger, all that stuff is the stuff that needs to go away from our lives if we're going to be living the life that Christ is bringing to us. So the armor of light into which we are heading is a light of truth and a light of honesty. And it's a light which has no room in it for all these provisions of the flesh. You know, it's basically the call, put off the old Adam and put on the new self. And this putting on 
the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have implications for the gospel reading, which we'll get to in a little bit. How do we put on Christ? I understand what he's aiming at, but what does that look like? Well, okay, you're going to force me to go there ahead of time. I think that the idea is just like, think of your flesh like the beast in the gospel reading. And what needs to happen to that beast, it's not that the beast is bad, it's that Christ needs to be seated firmly on that beast, controlling it. The flesh needs to be subjected to Christ. To put on Christ and not make provision for the flesh means to make that old donkey do exactly what Christ wants it to do and not what it would choose to do on its own. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest on this Monday, November the 27th. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Advent. We will turn to the Gospel reading in Matthew 21 next. a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Concordia Lutheran, Jackson, Tennessee. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Sherman, Illinois. Emmanuel Lutheran, Eagle, Nebraska. Messiah Lutheran, Danville, California. Our Savior Lutheran, North Royalton, Ohio, Redeemer Lutheran, Lincoln, Nebraska, St. John Lutheran, Napoleon, Ohio, St. Paul Lutheran, Milford Center, Ohio, Trinity Lutheran, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Zion Lutheran, St. Charles, Missouri.
Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Advent. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. Folks, Ad Crusom's Christmas greeting cards are full of scriptures, beautiful promises about Christ. Give the good news of the gospel to your loved ones this year with a great selection of cards from Ad Crusom. Each card comes with either a bookmark, a gift tag, or a sticker. Learn more at adcrusom.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Well, let's talk about the verse. It's just a short little piece of Psalm 85, verse 7. Alleluia, show us your steadfast love. O Lord, grant us your salvation. Alleluia. Yeah, this is a beautiful Alleluia verse. And as we're getting ready to hear the gospel reading, we're praying, God, show us your love. Show your love to us. Reveal your love to us and grant us your salvation by doing so. Grant us your salvation, of course, ties right into the cry that rings out Hosanna to the son of David, save us now, that's prayed in the gospel reading. But show us your steadfast love. This is going to be shown by the the humble, gentle, kindly manner which God assumes when he comes to his holy city, bringing salvation to it. That's what's the focus of that, that gospel verse there. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. And that love is going to be shown in the humility of the Son of God coming as he does. And that prayer is answered in Matthew 21, the first nine verses, which is our gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know, I have to get into this via a little bit of poetry. I just love the poem, The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. 
When fishes flew in forests walk and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born, with monstrous head and sickening cry, and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things, the tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge to ride me, I am dumb, I keep my secret still, fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. I just dearly love it. If you think about this story from the donkey's perspective, it really shines. Uh, I've preached it that way more than once. Let's sort of uh, get into it by noting that this is the fourth day before the Passover. This day, Todd, is the day that the people were directed to take the lamb. You had to take it and keep it separate on this day. So we assume that on this day when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, riding down the Mount of Olives, probably also droves and droves of lambs were being brought into the city for the many that would be needed for the Passover sacrifices that would take place four days later. So Jesus sort of rides in as the Lamb of God amid a whole bunch of lambs of God who were going to be yielding their lives that year too. Also, remember, throughout the Gospel readings, except for the the instance of the Gadarene demoniacs, Jesus had told people repeatedly, "'Hush! Keep quiet! Don't tell anyone!' the good news that he really was the Messiah. This messianic secret was because he wanted to be more than just known as the great healer. He wanted to be able to teach the truth about God. And so he needed to have time with his disciples to be able to impart that truth to them so that they would be able later to impart it to the world in their uh, words and in their preaching. So this is a startling change. What he's preparing to do here. He knows full well what this means. And all of the Jews there in Jerusalem perfectly well understood what it meant. Jesus tells them to go and find this donkey tied and her colt with her. And he orders them to untie them and bring them to him. He says, anybody ask you anything about it, just say to them, the Lord needs them. And he'll send them on at once. And apparently that's what happened. This took place, we're told, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. That would be Zechariah chapter 9 where Zechariah said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So they go, just as Jesus has sent them, they find the animals, they bring them to him, and when they do, they put their cloaks on both of them, apparently, and Jesus must have alternated sitting between one beast and the other beast as he comes into Jerusalem. The fathers found great significance in that, the sort of the, the donkey being the sign of the Jewish people who had been broken in, if you will, by the law of God. But then there were the unruly Gentiles, the cult, who had never yet been subject to the law of God, and yet Jesus is able to ride upon both and does ride upon both. But the big news as they're heading down the slopes of the Mount of Olives surrounding him, they're all shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, which is just another way of confessing, this is the king, this is the king. By sitting on that donkey, Jesus was proclaiming, I'm the fulfillment of Zechariah, I am the true king. Remember when Solomon also was crowned, he had to ride David's uh, 
cult into Jerusalem. And, and in doing so, mule into Jerusalem, in doing that, it was the public proclamation that he was the legitimate heir. He was going to be the one who would sit on his father's throne. Well, this is what Jesus is now doing. He's proclaiming very publicly to any and all, yep, I am the Messiah. No more being coy about it. No more saying, don't go and say anything. Keep it to yourself from now on. It is an open proclamation. I'm going to be king. And if you were a Roman sitting inside of the city that day and you looked outside of the city and saw this massive crowd surging down the slopes of the Mount of Olives and this man in the center, and they're all crying out to him and honoring him as king, you would be shaking in your bootstraps waiting for him to assault the Praetorium. But he makes this odd turn when he comes to the city. He doesn't attack the Praetorium. He turns and goes toward the temple because this king is going to be different from every other king. All kings of the earth, they come and take from you. This king, he comes to give to you and to give himself by his suffering and death. He comes to be that lamb, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And he knows that's why he's heading into the city and that his throne will be a cross, his crown will be thorns, and that is what he is heading to. But he comes in such a humble and a gentle and unassuming way. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll return more on that gospel reading, and we'll also talk a little bit about the hymn of the day, Savior of the Nations Come. Stay tuned. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. In the spirit of Advent, we journey to the humble town of Bethlehem. Luke 2.1 reminds us that, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. As we await the birth of Christ, let's reflect on the simplicity of his arrival. From all of us at Lutheran Church Extension Fund, may this Advent season fill your heart with hope and anticipation. Sacramental. Historical. Liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. 
If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the first Sunday in Advent, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. So in this gospel reading, this is Matthew's account. So John places it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew and the others place it at the end of Jesus' ministry. I think John places it at the same place. Uh, you, you're thinking of the cleansing of the temple? Cleansing that, of the temple, yeah, yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, So yeah. this is Jesus going to his death. Yes, He's already raised Lazarus. John tells us that this is why his enemies are seeking to kill him, and mm-hmm. Lazarus, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he has to know that entering Jerusalem is the most dangerous thing he could possibly do to himself physically, and yet he goes in willingly to his cross. Talk about that. Yeah, that is an amazing fact that especially John's gospel highlights. Remember in that gospel, when Jesus announces that he's going to even go and raise Lazarus, Thomas is like, you know, they were ready to kill you the last time you were down there in Judea. Don't you think this is kind of risky? And when when Jesus is like, no, we're going there. And then Thomas says, well, let us go and die with him. They're expecting, okay, this is what it's coming to. It's going to come to him uh, suffering and dying. So yeah, he definitely embraces the, the way of the cross. And he shows that by coming in, not with power and glory and might, but coming in with humility coming in as someone who can be rejected and, in fact, was rejected by the leaders of his own people. I'd like to share, if I could, just a few snippets from Luther on his sermons on this particular text, which are just golden. These all come from the house postals. Luther says, As much as to say that by outward appearance this king is a beggar, no hat for his head, no shoes for his feet, and moreover the donkey on which he rides isn't even his own. We must learn to take hold of Christ, therefore, in line with the prophet's portrayal as Savior and Redeemer who has come for our sakes to help us. He was promised to Adam and all the patriarchs, and even so comes for our comfort and salvation. Accordingly, he bears a twofold title, righteous judge and Savior, who declares us righteous and free from sin, desiring to save us from death and give us eternal life. Those are Christ's true colors as portrayed by the prophet, to be righteous and to free us from our sins. As the prophet Jeremiah states, this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That is, the Lord who will make us righteous. There's a big difference between this king and other kings. With the latter, everything is outward pomp and great and gallant appearance, magnificent air. Not so with Christ. His mission and work is to help against sin and death, to justify and bring life. He has placed his help in baptism and the sacrament and incorporated it in the word and preaching. To our eyes, baptism appears to be nothing more than ordinary water and the sacrament of Christ's body and blood, simple bread and wine. But they are not like other bread and wine. The sermon appears like hot air from a man's mouth. But we must not trust what our eyes see. But listen to what this king is teaching us in his word and sacrament. Namely, I pour out my blood to save you from your sins, to rescue you from death and bring you into heaven. To that end, I've given you baptism as a gift of forgiveness and preached to you unceasingly by word of mouth concerning the treasure, sealing it with the sacrament of my body and blood so that you will never doubt. True, 
it all seems little and insignificant that by the washing of water, the word and the sacrament, all this should be affected. But don't let your eyes deceive you. At one time, it seemed like a small and insignificant thing for him to come riding on a borrowed donkey and later to be crucified in order to take away sin, death, and hell. No one could tell this by his appearance, but the prophet foretold it and his work later fulfilled it. Therefore, we must simply grasp it with our ears and believe it with our hearts, for our eyes are blind. So on this first Sunday in Advent, the focus is very much upon the humble way Christ comes to us still in the means of grace, this gracious daily coming. That's the focus. Our king really does come, and he really does come with a righteousness that avails and can deliver us from the wrath of God, but it doesn't look like much. It looks like nothing more than the words of a man talking or a handful of water or bread and wine. That's all it looks like, but there's so much more hidden underneath of it. Instead of using your eyes, like Luther said, we need to shut our eyes and open our ears, and then our mouths will fill with praise at the great marvel that's taking place before us. We should note that this reading also occurs, or a reading parallel to it also occurs, at Holy Week. Mm -hmm. How does it function here differently or the same than it does kind of at the other midpoint of the church year? Yeah, at that point, in Advent, it is preparing us for the humble way that our King comes to us with his great gifts. On Palm Sunday, it's the processional gospel that's read at the start of the service where we are remembering that this king came to give this salvation in such a humble and kind way. It's sort of similar in both places that they both stress the humility of the king. Think about the collect for Palm Sunday. It speaks about that we might follow the example of his great humility. The epistle for that reading for the day stresses the humility of Christ, Philippians chapter 2. So it definitely stresses humility in both places. But there's a very different flavor at this point moment in Advent, although we're seeing him come and we're seeing it apply to the means of grace, our eyes are also looking toward the coming of this King in glory in a way that's not quite the same focus in Holy Week when it occurs. So let's talk a little bit about Savior the Nations Come, because this is a remarkable hymn, even apart from its strong association with this first Sunday in Advent and its kind of place of pride that it gets as the first hymn that we sing at the beginning of the church year. Talk about it, if you would. Yeah, this is by St. Ambrose, and it's one of the great confessions of the faith that he has left us. Luther, early on, translated it from Latin into German and changed the meter just a little bit, made it a little simpler to sing. And uh, it's been a favorite of God's people. You know, you, you can't hear it and not fall in love with it. Savior of the nations, come. Virgin son, make here your home. Marvel now, heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. So here, you know, if the reading was focused on his coming to us in the means of grace, the hymn of the day focuses you all the way up to his historical coming. It goes on, not by human flesh and blood. By the spirit of our God was the word of God made flesh woman's offspring, pure and fresh. Here a maid, that was Mary, was found with child, yet remained a virgin mild. In her womb, this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. Then stepped forth the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall, God of God, yet fully man, 
his heroic course began. In other words, stepping out of the virgin's womb, he comes to do this hero's course. What's his hero's course? God the Father was his source. Back to God, he ran his course. Into hell, his road went down. But back then, to his throne and crown. For you, you Lord Jesus, you are the Father's Son who in flesh the victory won, the flesh that was nailed to the tree. By your mighty power make whole all our ills of flesh and soul. From the manger, newborn light shines in glory through the night. Darkness there no more resides. In this light, faith now abides. And then the great doxology at the end, glory to the Father sing, glory to the Son our King, glory to the Spirit be, now and through eternity. So that hymn just sort of caps out the joys of the day. I should mention just briefly, there's another hymn by, by Gerhardt called, Oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You, that you certainly want to sing on this day too. It nails the gospel reading so beautifully. I lay in fast fetters groaning, you came to set me free. I stood my shame bemoaning, you came to honor me. A glorious crown you give me, a treasure safe on high that will not fail or leave me as earthly riches fly. It's just such a beautiful text, both of them. With about 30 seconds here, make the case for the church continuing to observe Advent until Christ's return. Well, we're never going to approach either the Lord's second coming aright, his coming into us in the means of grace aright, or his historical coming aright, until we take the time to slow down and remember how he comes to us and learn to wait for the fulfillment of his promises. We've seen many of them fulfilled. We're waiting for the great final promises to be fulfilled. And in that tension, we live as the people of God, awaiting people, an Advent people. Literally, folks, Advent is where we find ourselves in this age. We are a people waiting for the end, waiting for the appearing of our King. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He authored the book, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Todd. When we come back, we conclude our four-part series, Christian Sanctification in the Three Estates of Family, the Church, and we'll be talking about the civil realm, citizens and authorities, with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, author of The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? 
we'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org.